The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Another award season has drawn to an unexpected close and the big releases may be thin on the ground before summer but we're here to pick through the flotsam and jetsam of, of April and hopefully uncover some gems to check out at the multiplexes, the art cinema or from the comfort of your own home. I'm Emma Marchant and joining me today are Henry Jordan. Hello. Stuart Pask. Hello. Simon West. Hello. And you're the Osman. Hello! We have a varied selection of films this week. We finally get to see what all the fuss has been about with Norwegian director Joachim Trier's award-winning dramedy, The Worst Person in the World. We'll take a drip back to Green Hills with everyone's favourite blue hedgehog, Sonic. We'll get some full-on grimy thrills and gore in the horror homage X. See what Judd Apatow et al. did with their lockdown with pandemic comedy The Bubble and talk about newly minted Oscar winner Jessica Chastain's tour de force performance as famed TV evangelist Tammy Faye Becker in the eyes of Tammy Faye newly landed on Disney Plus but as it seems that we're not going to be able to go a month this year without a new Marvel release let us start with April's entry into the Pantheon bringing Jared Leto back into the fold it's Morbius But the cure. It's a curse. That was some of the trailer for um, Morbius, Marvel's newest addition to the canon. I'm not going to lie, that probably wasn't most radio friendly. But anyway, we've got three people here excited to tell us all about it. So this is about one of their most conflicted of their comic book anti-heroes. Jared Leto plays Dr. Michael Morbius, who, when he becomes infected with a rare blood disease, which is going to kill him, tries to save himself and others who may be infected, but instead turns himself into a living vampire. Swedish director Daniel Esposito has been entrusted with bringing us to the big screen in the latest from the Sonyverse, which I think is what I call this, with um, another Jared taking second billing and, and, and more stars stuffed in it. Stuart... Jared Leto has dabbled in comic book... Well, more than dabbled, let's say. He was obviously Joker with the Suicide Squad. But this is his first full Marvel lead for him. How does he deal with it? It's disappointing. If I'm being very frank, I went and saw it on its release day. And I I personally felt that Jared uh, Leto had a very empty performance. He didn't bring a lot to the character. I think the film has a lot a lot in common with vampires but doesn't really do much to the vampire genre it's got no soul there are very few laughs throughout it and all of the marvel films today from marvel studios at least not from uh, sony entertainment which is the important distinction to make have had some degree of laughs that uh, this film barely got me to raise a smirk it has very little empathy um, it doesn't give any time or enough time to character development to make you, the audience, empathise with any of the characters. It's vain, it's shiny, it's, it's, they milk the CGI effects like there's no tomorrow and they don't really add up to whatever budget went on this film. I don't know what it was, but it looked bad, like early 2000s level of CGI. And, yeah, to, to continue along the sort of uh, the vampire sort of 
puns and analogies, it's a it's a very poor reflection, horse, of other Marvel movies. Well, you don't hold back, Stuart. Don't hold back. No. Um, Henry, this, like I said, I described it as something from coming from the Sony-verse because I think this is a hybrid of the Sony-Marvel behemoth, like you say, which, which is, I think, like Venom. Am I right in saying that? Is this too likely to end up a little bit like Venom and Venom 2 in a bit of a sorry mess of its own making? Uh, yeah, it reminds me exactly of those. It falls into the, the same trap that the Venom films did in which they have this character who historically throughout comic book history has been a really villainous character but because this is a big big budget blockbuster they need to make him the hero and so it's not even that he's an anti-hero there's a scene in morbius in which um, the main character kills a bunch of people and they kind of brush it under the rug as the film goes along they say yeah well they were mercenaries and then he's just the good guy for the rest of the film because there's another even more evil guy coming along it's really it just takes away it defangs the character you know he loses all of his interestingness because he has to be a good guy you know he's always conflicted about where to do evil it's fun watching bad people do bad things and morbius isn't fun at all it's embarrassing <laughs> i can't remember the last time we had some banging on the table that was i am well, so happy to hear it i haven't in, in full disclosure i have not seen this but um you know i have three very very established and excellent reviewers who have done simon I'm going to ask, I'm going to come to you and ask what you can add to it. As I said, Jared Leto is obviously heading this up, but it does have one of, we were just discussing this off air, one of our absolute favourites, Jared Harris in it as well, and many people's favourite doctor, Max, Matt Smith, fresh off the back of last night in Soho. He's in this too. Would you say, are these guys doing it because they all need new swimming pools or were they tempted <laughs> by the artist, artistic, were they tempted artistically for it? I don't know. Do they add to it? Are these great performances? Um... I think they hopefully they get enjoyment out of the swimming pools because we didn't get any enjoyment <laughs> watching them. Um, Matt Smith is awful in here. His overacting. Um, last night in Soho, I think, must have been a fluke uh, performance from him. I mean, he's not great in Doctor Who and he's not great in this either. He's just complete overacting. Um, trying to suddenly turns an English wide boy when he gets angry. Um, Jared Harris tries his best on the old mentor route, which is pretty much just dialed in for any actor of that calibre. Um, we, I don't know if our viewers, our listeners remember, but when we were talking about um, Venom 2 recently, we all said it was a very bad film, but for some reason we all enjoyed it. This one is just a very bad film. Um, I thought it actually started off well with a nice you know, the origins in the first 20 minutes. But then all the scenes just didn't seem to make any sense. There was no no reason for them. You don't know why the characters are going from one to the other. Um, it There's just nothing there to attract you to it. It was just dull. Stuart? I agree with the points on the origin. I think the origin at the very beginning of the film actually m made me uh, feel quite sort of confident. Okay, this, actually yeah. could, this has potential to go somewhere. Uh, and they don't spend enough time on it. They don't spend enough time, like I said, that it, you don't establish a relationship with the characters to the extent you begin to care about them in any sense or form. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a scene where um, Jared uh, Morbius and his assistant kiss, and I was like, where is that from? You're doing it because she's a female interest, therefore they must have a rom romance. But at no point in the film did you feel any chemistry for them or think they're going to get together or did they even have a personality? Um, it, it's just, yeah, it's 
it's written by committee, obviously. It's been filmed the committee. I think it's been in development for so long because it's probably been edited and cut and recut. Um, they've got all the special effects that are very confusing and don't add anything. They just block things out just because they don't know what they're doing in this film. So how... Just to, to one final question, which is really about the direction. So like I said, Daniel Espinosa, the last thing, the last feature-length film he did was Life, which I would go with... You said, that was kind of a bad film, but fun, if you like. It wasn't even a bad film, actually. I thought Life was really clever. Yeah. Life was the best alien film that came out for a long time. So, it it, and, and that had a feel to it, but would you say in this case, it's just is, is this one of these cases where it doesn't really matter whose name is at the helm for directing it, it's just, a yeah, it, it's just like you say, it's just been made by committee. It's one of the most, which is some of the most soulless filmmaking there can be. I mean, the Marvel Universe, the MCU, the good ones, um, they're a clear vision, there's very top-down control, and what they do is they pick people for projects who have the vision and follow it through. Whereas all the other things, the DC ones and the Sony ones, just seem to be by committees. They're trying to do, they focus test it, and they just cannot reproduce the magic. Yeah, no, no. One, one final note: if you are going to watch any Marvel um, vampire film, just maybe just stay home and wait until they release release details for Marvel Studios' Blade reboot, yeah. which has got Mahershala Ali at the helm. That I think could be the vampire film the Marvel universe needs, not this empty cash grab. <laughs> Right, well, I think that is probably pretty much a rousing non-review for Morbius, but if you still wish to go and see it, uh, if you're a completist that way for superhero films, it's a Certificate 15, and it is screening at the Light and the View cinemas. Let's move swiftly on to something that I hope is going to get a little bit more love from our team. Let's go, Potter. Okay. Okay. Hold it. Hold it. Vi var kvitt då. Vi var I said goodbye to me. I looked in the mirror. Then I began to cry. I leave my things behind for all to see and hope that she would understand why. That was the eagle, the, well, the eagle listeners there, your eagle-eared listeners will have picked up that obviously that trailer was in Norwegian. If you're fluent in Norwegian, I hope you enjoyed some of it. Otherwise, there was a lovely song in there. This is The Worst Person in the World, which is the latest from Norwegian director Joachim Trier and has finally landed on UK screens after being garlanded by awards and nominations, chiefly both the Palme d'Or and Best Actress at Cannes. Taking place over four years in contemporary Oslo, it tells the story of Julie, played by Renate Rensfer, a 30-year-old woman unsure of her path in the world, both professionally and romantically. Henry, I'm going to come to you first. Trier has tackled the romantic genre here, I think, and I felt has done something incredibly special with it. Um, would you agree? I Yeah, 100%. We kind of joke a bit behind the scenes that I seem to have entered in some curse on the show, where every time I'm on, I see one of the worst films I've ever seen and then also one of the best films I've ever seen. And I'm really happy to say Worst Person in the World fits into the best category. It is a film that feels effortless, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate how hard it is to make a film that is just this easy, that just goes down this well. It's such a pleasure to watch from start to finish. It begins and it's really funny and energetic, and as it goes on it adds these these emotional layers that lead you coming out of the film a little melancholic and yet still like was your life affirmed. I left 
I left the cinema both times because I've seen this film twice now, feeling lighter, feeling better as a person. I think there is, there's kind of not really anyone this film isn't for. You know, it's about a woman in her late 20s going through a bit of an existential crisis. But I think anyone of any age or any gender living in any country in the world is going to watch this and is going to see part of themselves in Julie. I agree wholeheartedly. Yossi, this is told in a chapter format um, with a prologue and an epilogue, like the fil- like the recent film, The French Dispatch, which you did not love so much. Did you? Did this format work for you better in this film? Absolutely. I love this film. I cannot tell you how much I connected with this film. It was just beautifully done, and it has this format. Yes, as you've said, it's got chapters, but it, it was just every moment of it, I just, I knew everything that the character was going through. I loved it. I thought it was just very well done. And it's one of those films where I just, there haven't been many films I've seen recently where I have felt like I have just connected to what's happening and I've felt reflected and I've just understood what's happening and I feel like it, it, it it's a bit of me basically to put it in a very simple term but this film really really worked and I think it's beautifully done thank you you'll see Simon this is as we've discussed Rene um Renata Renshfer and I think I'm pronouncing that right but really I wouldn't I wouldn't guess breakout film without a doubt but she is ably supported by Anders Danielson Lee who is Joaquin Trier's muse he's been in I think many of his films from August 31st Oslo onwards and also Herbert Nordrum as and they play Axel and Elvind the two key lovers in this four-year period of her life did you find yourself believing in their relationships I could follow, yeah, all of their relationships, you, you know, understand what they're going through. Um, it's a bit of a May-September relationship in the first one, as they're saying now, um, with, you know, Julie just in her mid-twenties and Axel in late-forties when they first met, but they do seem to link up so well, and you can understand through what they show all her reservations of the relationship, but also everything that makes it so special, Um and something that she she fears that she's not going to get again, um, even when you know eventually she, she moves on um, with Ivan, and again they spend an absolutely magical night together, not having an affair, which is quite an important point. Um, that you know they are not cheating on each other, but they still can't forget each other, and you believe in all of it. Um, Renata is absolutely fantastic. You just the expressions on her face as she goes through. There are some absolutely magnificent scenes where, you know, deep in love, running through Oslo, where everything else is frozen, or even when walking up to the party and you know she's not happy in her in her current um, relationship. The expressions on her face as she goes down, you can just see everything she's thinking and working out and you can see where it's going um she's absolutely fantastic yeah i think henry made a really good point there where you said it's incredibly difficult to make something look this effortless despite there are these incredibly you know that like you mm. said the scene in the middle where she she rushes to go and just have her first kiss with with ivan and and it's through this is a bravura piece of filmmaking technically quite spectacular but yet this film never ever feels flashy and I don't know if that's something to do with the kind of I was thinking about this because obviously Denmark we know for the dogma 
mm. the, for, you know, for, the, for the dogma works. It's well known within kind of film pantheons and film studies. I think the only Norwegian film I've seen before this, and I hasten to add, I did actually then go and watch August 31st also after this. The only Norwegian film I think I've seen is Trollhunter, which is great if anyone wants to seek it out, by the way. Excellent Norwegian film. But, um... I, I didn't know if maybe it, it seems a shame to me that this hasn't been promoted harder or pushed harder and I don't know if it's something about that Norwegian sensibility they have something called the Laura Janter in Norway which is social norms about this idea that you're not competitive or, and you know you, you accept what comes to you because and that's sort of part of that sort of Scandinavian way of living which is why perhaps they have a better egalitarian system than we do let's say mm. and you see that coming out in that marvellous scene where she does break up with Axel and Axel says to her, you're never going to have a relationship like that and I know that because I'm in my mid-40s. You don't... But he still lets her go because he knows he has to. I don't know, that was a lot. I just said a lot about that. <laughs> I also absolutely love this film. I've also watched it twice and I just think it's incredible. Yeah. But I just think it's... I, I don't know why it hasn't gathered more... Has, has, has had more promotion I mean, here in the UK. I, I don't know. I, I always got the question about the title, which, I mean, we had a slight discussion before the show, we're saying, you hear a title from films called about the worst person in the world, and you think it's going, oh, it's going to be a form of a recent film, Red Rocket, or something like that, and you think, I don't want to spend two hours in the company of the worst person in the world. But that's not what this film is. Um, she goes through and she does things which everybody does, which makes you feel like you're the worst person in the world, but you're not. You're just normal and it's relatable. And I think the fact that I can get the same feelings as, you know, Yossi and yourself, it's something universal about this film. It doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> it doesn't happen a lot. Um, yeah. And, yeah, more people should go see this. Yeah, there's a frankness to it, which I really liked as well. There's an incredibly, there's an emotional frankness to it and an emotional simplicity to it, I think. You know, there is there are some very traumatic things that happen, but they're told in it, in, they're sort of said in such a way that it, I don't know, it never, it never manipulates your emotions. No, it's very relatable. And I think a lot of people that watch it, like myself and Simon and Henry, we can just watch it and we, we will each take something different from it, but it just feels so real and so relatable that honestly i would tell everyone to just go and watch it i think it's just a beautiful film yeah henry any last words um yeah i mean i think this is you know there's probably a lot of people listening who who don't watch a lot of uh, films that are in different languages and that have subtitles and i think if you are that person and you're listening just like brush those preconceptions aside this is like as accessible as any kind of mainstream drama you're going to get from Hollywood. It's once you get over that one inch barrier that Bong Joon-ho famously talked about, you are going to find yourself just awash in a world that feels exactly like your own. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Bong because I was thinking about the fact that Parasite did so incredibly well, for example, for a foreign language film. And yet this, although it has been nominated a lot, it, it, I, I, I don't know, it just makes me, it makes me sad. So I think this is an excellent format for us all to say, please, please, please rush like she does in the poster. Just run, run to go and watch <laughs> The Worst Person in the World. It is a certificate 15 and it's showing at the Picture House for all of next week. So go and do it. Uh, right, time for a bit of a change of pace. We are off to the murky backwoods of 1970s Texas. Farmer's daughter, take one. I need to be famous, Wayne. All the best people are. There ain't nobody else out there like you. You know why? Why? Because you got that X factor. Our days of struggling may soon be over. Hollywood, here we come. I just want me. So this is it. Our own studio backlog. Back to you. I'm looking for a place to stay. 
Oh, yes, sir. That's one ugly son bitch. And my wife, Pearl, is next door. So I would appreciate a little discretion. I just want He don't know what we're doing, does he? Well, it's better to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. Would you like to come inside? Tat was a trailer for X directed by Ty West. Um, he broke out into the revamped Naughty's horror world with The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers. And now back by A24, which is, you know, a sure sign of horror, horror royalty, I would say, these days, he has made X, which is both a homage and a knowing wink back, I would say, from 2022 to things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and maybe even The Hills Have Eyes, but I'm going to look at Simon for that because my horror knowledge is not so expert. Uh, Martin Henderson playing really i love this so sleazily against type he's heading up a bunch of wannabes and think they are who are going to make a low budget adult film deep in texas over one weekend but wait the reclusive elderly couple who they've rented a barn from to be their makeshift set, set just seem to be becoming increasingly sinister simon you are the only person who's well you and i have both seen yeah. this um i'm i'm really i must say i'm really proud of myself because this show is making me break out of my of my comfort zone and i'm always into horror these days anyway it's just you've seen this but you you did say it was your best film of the year so far. Can you tell us why? Yeah, it is very rare nowadays that I come out of the film just wanting to talk about every little detail of it. Um, technically, it's absolutely su superb and it's a film that just sticks with you. Two days later, me and the person I saw it with were just like, still thinking about the film. What about this shot where they did this and did that? It is just absolutely stunning. I mean, as you mentioned, Ty West... Um, was a new noughties horror icon c coming out with um, Adam Wingard. And he hasn't actually done that much recently, so this is a bit of a return to form for him. So, But I was quite excited about seeing it. Um, yeah, it starts off, um, like I said, the group of young actors and actresses going off to make an adult film um, starring Mia Goth, who always picks interesting roles and is absolutely fantastic here in more than most people will actually realise is what she does here. And Brittany Snow, who I mainly know from Pitch Perfect, going completely against type. Um, you know, you heard Emma describe the film about them going off and seeing the old couple you don't approve, but it doesn't develop in the way you think it is. Um, the motivations, it's, you know, a study on ageing and the youth and how youth is wasted on the young. Um, but on a technical level, Ty West, in the, I mean, it's heavily influenced by Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, and a few other films. But what he shows here is an absolute masterful understanding of the genres. He, he goes through everything from suspense, especially towards the beginning. Some of the shots and sequences will get you on the edge of your seat, um, goosebumps, everything, to jump scares, to then gore, and then to even comedic um, kills towards the end. It's almost a tour de force... This is what all the different genres of horror are. Here's how you do it. And here's me excelling every single one of them. You've kind of answered the question I was going to say, which is, like, yeah, the, I mean, the gore runs in rivers. There is, from the very, when, when they're driving to the yep. suspicious looking, you know, the spooky looking barn, they, they, there's, they, you get a close up of a dead 
carcass of a cow on the road and it is an incredibly visceral and then later on that repeats itself but only this time it obviously it's with a human um and you know from the beginning what, what i enjoyed about this as well like i said it's and i don't know if this happens in the texas chainsaw massacre because i have not seen it but i like the fact that the beginning of the film is the end so you, the beginning yep. of the film is the sheriff coming and you've just got bodies strewn everywhere and they're like what the heck has happened with this tv evangelist sort of playing in the background on the black and white tv it's was I did I don't know was it scary enough though I mean because there's also a vast amount of nudity in this obviously they are not shying back from the fact that it's also making an adult film and I think he also knows or he's done his research yeah. on 1970s adult films because this is when that industry was exploding as well and the period detail is just glorious everything from the titles to like you say the film stock and interestingly this was all filmed in New Zealand I mean, standing in for Texas I which mean, baffled me yeah just I mean the opening shot is absolutely fantastic where it's in the narrow aspect ratio and you can see and it's like the 16 mil closed film of those kind of old films but then he pans out and you realize you're in a barn and it just goes into widescreen um yeah he like i said everything about this film the, the editing is stunning um it's going to be a shame we're going to be probably talking about the oscars later but it's how films like this get overlooked when editing is such an essential part. I mean, I found it was scary, it was tense, at least the first half of it, because um, you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know the motivations, you don't know the build-up. Um, the pond scene is something that's going to go down in history and going to be repeated again and again. But as the film goes on, it does ease up, it does relax, it does become more humorous. But that's not because it's gone too far and it's over the top. I think it is purely a director. It's an, I, I, what I enjoyed, the things I really enjoyed about this film, it's a really, it's a good running time, it's a zippy running time, and mm. you never get, and I loved some of the split screen stuff that goes on later on when you've got the, where you've got them sort of various people coming into contact with the reclusive couple in the barn, but also while they're shooting their adult film, because obviously they haven't told them they're doing that. And I think that the cast, like you say, Britney Snow blew me away, Jenna Ortega, Mia Goth, it's, it's a clever, it is a clever film, and mm. this comes from someone who is not a horror aficionado. I, I, and I think in some ways I could watch it more happily knowing, having seen the shot at the beginning, so you know, you know it's going to end badly. Happen, that perhaps takes a little bit away from it, but also it, it means you can steep yourself in the glorious visuals of it and enjoy it more. Yeah, I mean, I think it's up there with Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson as showing an absolute master, mastery of the art, of the genre knowing what he does you could teach an entire film studies course just examining this film i think it is that good um you heard it you heard it here so that is x and it is very much a certificate 18 by the way i'm going to make that very clear very much. you need to be prepared for it yeah, but if you are willing to give it that chance yeah yeah it is very much a certificate 18 and it's so and he's showing the light and the view but very limited screenings i think and pretty late on because obviously it's half term and this is not one you're going to be taking your kids to um thank you cambridge 105 radio on Cambridge 105 Radio, Gadget Guide gives you a download on the world of tech. Rob Chipperfield and Lawrence Michalif take you through streaming TV services, the latest releases from Apple and Google, and everything you need to get the best out of working from home. Digital assistants are helping us to do more in our homes. Does your light bulb respond to voice commands yet? Cambridge technology company Raspberry Pi have some news. Gadget Guide, Monday at 6, online and on Cambridge 105 Radio. Suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? 
then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio you're listening to the cambridge film show on cambridge 105 radio we've still got about 25 26 minutes left and we haven't even touched the oscar winning jessica chastain in the eyes of tammy faye or star stuffed pandemic comedy the bubble i'm saying that deliberately but now we are ready for our family film of the week just in time for the easter holidays back to no one's surprise following the monumental box office success of the first one here is our favorite blue hedgehog these rings signify the commitment so help me thomas sorry sorry life or death situation i need you to use the ring to save me like right now no, my God. Oh, boy. Ah, Hawaii. I just hope we're not too late. Oh, Lord, there are two of them now. What's happening? Uh, okay, quick version. Robotnik is back. I've discovered the source of ultimate power. We need to get it back or the world is doomed. Two years ago, after some, after just some kerfuffle about how human a super-fast hedgehog should look, massive Sega video game franchise Sonic made it to the big screen, delighting millennials and children across the world. A surprisingly entertaining script, charismatic cast and big box office has brought everybody back for a rerun. Ben Schwartz voices Sonic with James Marsden as his adorable human sidekick Tom, up against Jim Carrey as Dr. Egg and his evil henchman Knuckles who seems to be ubiquitous voice actor Idris Elba who I think there doesn't seem to be a cartoon that doesn't have him in it. Anyway, Stu you made no pretense of how excited you were for this uh, did it live up to the first one? Did it live up to your expectations? So did it live up to the first one? Uh, no, it's not quite as good as the first one. I think it's just a it's, it's not bad but it's it, yeah, it, it sort of falls short of the original um, but did it meet my expectations? Uh, yes, it's 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 very unapologetic. It is a family film. It is targeted primarily at kids, um, and and it just uh, it does that usual thing where it sneaks in a few silly little jokes and references that an older audience might only just understand. Um, particularly for people like myself, for people in their thirties and forties who probably grew up playing the original Sonic the Hedgehog games on what were the at the time the, the Mega Drive and Genesis respectively. Um, Good knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, the same thing. I know, I know. <laughs> 
I, I could go into it, but this is a film show. <laughs> uh, just a geek out rising. Um, but no, it's a, it, it had lots of little nods to the original games, and I and I, and I really enjoyed those. The humour is, is it's not sophisticated. It's very childish. It's very slapstick, but that's fine for what it is. And, and, uh, and Ben Schwartz gives uh, Sonic the sort of obnoxious, youthful um, flair who you should expect from the character. <laughs> Yossi, you, I, I know you say you go and see this because your your significant other is also of an age where he was a huge Sonic fan growing up, so this is why it has a special place in your heart. Did you enjoy it? How did you find it? What was the highlights? Look, I am not in the target demographic for this film. I, I am not a child, and I am also not somebody who played Sonic. Um, however, I do think there are things to like about this, and I did laugh a few times, and um, I think it's one of those films where it's not as good as the first one. I did see the first one. In fact, the first one was the last film we saw before lockdown, so Sonic does have a special place in our hearts but this this film i think um i was in a screening full of full of kids who just loved it and you know they were saying things like go on get him sonic and just really getting into it and i have to remember when i watch these films it's very easy for me to be quite sniffy about it but it's not for me and the kids that i was in this screening with they loved every second of it they were really enjoying it and i i I think that's something that we have to remember when we talk about this kind of film and i will say one thing ben schwartz who i absolutely adore and he did do a parks and recreation (laughs) reference which i have to mention on the show he did do a john ralphio reference which was the one moment i did laugh in the film when he went it's the worst (laughs) which anyone who loves uh, parks and recreation will know what that is but i have to say it, it please it tried to cater to all tastes and i respect that I'm disappointed in myself for missing the Parks and Recreation reference when I saw it, <laughs> but I only watched that during the first pandemic, but never mind. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I agree with the point about the kids loving this. It, when I came out of the screening, they were literally bouncing off the walls, running around, pretending to be Sonic. So, warning to parents, your children will come out of this hyper. <laughs> I think, and I think that is a really good point. We, we're, we've been so spoiled, I think, particularly by Pixar films from the noughties in, in, in this whole kind of films that have stuff for adults and stuff for children. There is a place, obviously there's a place for stuff that is just out now, kids entertainment Henry I no I kind of disagree with everyone I mean the film is, is <laughs> that is fine. a shock to me Henry <laughs> the film is fine I'm not going to pretend that this is you know some Morbius level disaster but the I don't know in a in a world where like we have films you know in which animated characters interact with live action actors you know when that genre has Paddington 2 we should strive for better I don't think we can you know this film is aimed for kids and there's you know there's a a mean bean machine reference in this that you know Stu is very happy about and there's a sanic reference that people my age are very happy about but this is for kids but i don't think that can be used as like a protective blanket i think i think kids deserve better quite honestly i, I mean can i just say we were saying it's for kids but this film is also over two hours long it could easily have had quite a few scenes 
cut out of it with nothing missing. Ah, um, uh, yeah, I think I, I agree with. We talked about this before, so we talk about what 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 a target audience is. And at the end of the day, surely films should be made for people who love films, and that doesn't matter if you're a great. You're right. I remember the, one of the first films I took my kids to go see was Space Chimps Three, which was <laughs> no Space Chimps Two in 3D, which is one of the worst things I've ever seen. So you can go from the sublime to the ridiculous, because then you can take them to go and see something like Inside Out, and it's just a miracle of imagination and story writing. This probably is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and look, I'm not I'm not saying it's perfect. It's not. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, it is something that the the kids that I watched it with I didn't take any kids, but there were kids in the cinema with me. But they, they enjoyed it and they, they really appreciated it. And I think there were some really cute moments in it. And I, I think that's I, well, and let's not forget that kids, just like the rest of us, haven't really been able to go to the cinema for exactly. two years. And I think that is, you know, it's certainly part of my formative experience growing up. You know, the whole, the popcorn, the cinema, the fact that you're watching it in a shared, you and having a shared experience. I'm going to ask one last question, and anyone can put their hand up to this one. I am a huge fan of Jim Carrey, I'm not going to lie. I'm desperately upset that he's announced he's retiring, or that hasn't kind of retired already. How is Dr. Robotnik? He is in a lot more than a first film. Good. Um, which is not good when you're not a Jim Carrey fan like I'm not um i can't wait for his <laughs> retirement he gurns a lot he's got a bigger mustache i must admit yeah the kids loved him the kids loved the film but compared to the first one this one was not for me yeah i, I think uh, jim carrey didn't have the, the right amount of wacky comedic energy to the role of dr dr robotnik or eggman depending on which generation you're referring to him from um and uh it, yeah, I mean, I think it's a shame he's announced his retirement. I think he, there's plenty more roles for him. But I think he said that if the right script came to him, um, he'd, he'd come back. But Maybe I'll write one for him. Maybe. <laughs> Comedic energy is a great way of describing Jim Carrey, I think. Right, well, I think then, generally, apart from maybe Henry's slightly dissenting voice, who, who expected more, we can say that Sonic is probably going to be an excellent choice to take your children to this Easter, because there's not a lot of... I don't think there are any, many other family films out there, so let's see if it repeats the enormous success of the first one. It is a certificate PG, and it's showing at both the light and the view, and Poss- not picture, no, definitely not picture. Harry's <laughs> Harry's taking his note on the picture. They're showing lights of you, lots and lots of showings for that. Okay, it was a pretty open race this year at the Oscars for Best Actress, but in the end, Jessica Chastain nudged it for her portrayal of Tam- Tammy Faye Backer. Let's have a listen. Tammy Faye, what'd you do? Hello, Mother. This is Jim Baker, my husband. <laughs> it's all part of our mission to help people. Anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out, God has a plan for us. What did he tell you to do this time? Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach and I'll sing. Higher and higher. God does not want us to be poor. Mother, follow a pleasure. Now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda. Homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jerry Falwell is a powerful man, Tammy Faye. She's a firecracker, Jim. If everyone watching could double their pledge just for one month, God loves you. He really does. (laughs) 
That was the trailer for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. If you were alive in the 1980s, it was hard to avoid Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Apologies for my mispronunciation earlier. Good job that Jessica Chastain corrected me in the trailer. TV evangelists and the masses. From their beginnings in Missouri, taking puppet shows around the region, to the PTL, Praise the Lord Network, and their two daily TV shows and top ten albums from Tammy. They were a $120 million phenomenon that collapsed when Jim was arrested and jailed for five years for fraud in 1989. Tammy Faye herself, though, was also was always a very emotive voice. She didn't hold back and she brought attention to AIDS patients and even penile implants in a very relatively puritanical time because this was really when the Republicans were in and, it, yeah, it's, it's a different time from now. So this brought her into the arms of the gay community and did lead to a documentary made about her in 2000 called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which was narrated by RuPaul. 21 years later, Michael Showalter, best known, I would say, for the big sick in 2017 but also Wet Hot American Summer, has brought a traumatised version of her life to the screen with Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye and Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker. Yozzy. From the very first shot of this film, which is a close-up of, of, of her eyes, her incredibly made-up eyes, this film is really only told from the aspect of Tammy Faye. Did you think that this... I won't say unreliable narrator exactly, but did you feel that this... Did it make it empathetic or is it a bit too one-sided? I I am a little bit perplexed with this film, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I have to... I, I don't know a lot about Tammy Faye... Or, or any of the surrounding story. So I went into this with very fresh eyes. I, I just wanted to experience the film. But what I did think was it was a little bit... It, it came from her viewpoint, and that's absolutely fine. But it, there was something when I was watching it that I just thought, you know, how how can we rely on this narrator? But also... Is it? Are we relying a little bit too much on Jessica Chastain here? I love Jessica Chastain. I love Andrew Garfield. I mean, for anyone that's not seen Tick, Tick, Boom, this is my moment to shout it out. But uh, sorry, I had to do that. Emma. I'm so sorry. I had to do it. I don't blame you. But I, I love them as actors, and I really think this film relied a little bit too heavily on them doing these, what, what I think were brilliant performances. It, it, it was just. I, I wanted something more. Okay, Henry, I mean, sort of, Yossi's led me into this, really. Jessica Chastain won the Oscar and really is in absolutely every scene. There are obviously some strong performances in there. Cherry Jones playing her mother, an unrecognisable Vincent Donofrio playing Jerry Falwell, the head of the Southern Baptist megachurch, who is one of the sort of leaders that Tammy Faye clashes against. And Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker. Did I wasn't sure about Jim... I wasn't sure about Andrew Garfield's casting in this, and that, that was a slight jarring point for me. But what did you think of the supporting and of Jessica Chastain herself. I, no, I really, I disagree with you, Emma. I think Andrew Garfield was great. I, Again, a shock. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I love Andrew Garfield. I've kind of never seen... I love him too. I've never seen him in anything where I didn't like him, even if the film wasn't to my taste. And I think this is the, like, the most villainous I've really seen him get. And I kind of enjoyed that. You can, you know, you can feel him starting to really revel in that. And I think, you know, he's a necessary counterpoint to the kind of relentless optimism of Tammy, Tammy Faye as a character. You need to have this slight kind of skeeziness next to her. And the two of them are in every scene. You know, this has been pushed as, like, the Jessica Chastain film. But really, the, it is the two of them um, in everything. I think, yeah, the supporting cast is great. Like, Vincent D'Onofrio, he's only in a handful of scenes, but every time he pops up, I'm like, this is this is great. Vincent is here. This is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I think Jessica Chastain is deservedly, like, the star of this film. This is... 
it wouldn't have been my choice at the Oscars, but I think, and I don't even think it's her best performance, but that's only because she's a great actress. You know, this is like another great performance to chuck onto this incredible filmography of really great performances. Simon, as I mentioned at the top of this of, of the description, Tammy Faye became quite quite a gay icon. I shouldn't really say unlikely. I mean, you know, it also there is there is a rather if Ash was here, she would have said on the nose. But there is a rather on the nose sequence where we're singing "God Taking You Higher and Higher," but of course she is just taking all the all the prescription drugs in the world because on top of everything else, the poor woman did have a prescription drug um, addiction. Did this lean enough into the camp for you? I feel it could have gone camper. And Michael Showalter, I think Wet Hot American Summer is that's a film and then they did a recent Netflix TV series and that is super weird and, and, and just it really is quite quite bizarre but this I thought was quite a straightforward well-meaning biopic and then I thought to myself well maybe it should be because Tammy Faye was you know a well-meaning if slightly you know misled woman but did it was it was it enough for you or was it just a little bit by you know painting by numbers it was caught in the middle between you know, trying to be a bit more out there in camp and playing it straight. But I think the problem is that their life was so over the top and open. Just by showing it straight, it does feel over the top. I don't think you actually needed necessarily to, you know, to make it even more camp or make it even more, you know, over the top than it actually is. Because then you're like, oh, how much of a cinema, how much of it is their life? But it did seem like, no, all this craziness that happens is what they went through. I was struck by the enormous sympathy for her in this and the fact it seems to suggest that she was completely unaware really of the of the enormous fraud that, that Jim was that Jim but at the same time she clearly was an incredibly you know there, there's a lot of avarice in this relationship but she was an incredibly materialistic person she wanted you know she wanted the money and she but so uh, but I thought maybe they they could have they sh- maybe they they skirted that a little bit to make this very sympathetic portrayal I think they were trying to be very careful about certain things and I think um what I really bought into was the dynamics of the relationship between Tammy and Jim and um I think I mean it's it's a difficult one to talk about because I really think this film relied far too much on just what you might see before you watch it which is the extravagance and you know who Tammy is and what you might know I mean I have to say I didn't know anything about it before I watched it but I had a perception and I think the t- the, the film the, the film did play it quite safe for me but then maybe it should do. I thought that, the, and I thought Jessica Chastain's performance at the end as well, when she is come because she was sort of ostracised. She, even though she was never, she was never in prison. She was never found guilty, but she obviously became a pariah in the community, and they might because she'd already rubbed some people up the wrong way anyway. And I did think though that the layers went at the very end, the last kind of twenty minutes, when she comes, when she's trying to make a comeback, and there's a scene where she goes in to sort of pitch her somewhat dated ideas to to an executive, and they, that broke my heart a little bit. I just, I did. But you think, do, you do sympathise with her I'm not saying you don't in fact I did really sympathize with her and but I I do think that there is there is more that you could have done with that narrative in just terms of of exploring the different viewpoints but I mean, it's called the eyes of Tommy Faye. So. Well, this is true. I mean, I was talking. We talking about the football show as well. And I was talk, say, talking about the Righteous Gemstones, which is currently streaming on um, Now TV. If you have it, which is with John Goodman, and that really is an absolute, you know, satire of the because it's it's a massive industry in the US, and I think it could have. But like I said, it's it's it. But it's a story about one woman who 
you know, wanted to bring love to the world. So maybe we should just, you know, be positive about that. Um, the Eyes of Tammy Faye is a certificate 12A. It's streaming on Disney Plus, but it's also showing at the Picture House, I believe, in a couple of um, a couple of showings this week following its Oscar win. Very quickly, as we're talking Oscars, did it, did, we, did we feel that Jessica Chastain deserved it, or would anyone have plumped for somebody else? I mean, I personally, Olivia Colman would have done it for me. I'm not crazy on The Lost Daughter, but I think everything that film does right is because of her. She would have been where I've gone, or Penelope Cruz as well, deserving. I thoroughly yeah. agree with you for once, Henry. I thought Olivia Colman was, like I, I talked about before, I thought her portrayal of an older woman, well, older, middle-aged woman, was brilliant. Uh, Simon, would you um, give it to Jessica Chastain? Would you, in fact, have given the Oscars, who was it, Coda Best Film, Belfast Best Screenplay, Will Smith, Jessica Chastain, Troy Kotzer? Ariana DeBose. I mean, Code was best film. I came on here, absolutely loved it at the time, still love it. It deserved everything it got. It's a shame it was a bit overshadowed. Um, best actress, uh, we've talked about worst person world already, and I think I would have given it she to her. She wasn't even nominated. Mm. I thought, what, no, what, she was what, nominated what? for a BAFTA. She wasn't nominated for an Oscar. Oh, well, and I, think I mean, that, that just shows disgrace. you what it is, you know. Um, absolute disgrace. Stuart, any thoughts? I mean, my only sort of real criticism of the Oscars, as always, is there's too much focus on... on, on Granted, it's the stuff we see in the final product, but we don't enough time isn't spent in in sharing the the awards of all of the the musicians, the makeup artists, the designers, the visual effects artists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And maybe if they mix it up a bit and include some of these areas, which can be very interesting in their own right, maybe they'll get the viewers back they want without having to rely on Will Smith doing what he does. <laughs> Here, here. Um, Yossi, any any thoughts from you on the Oscars? I feel like it was pretty much that the three three of the four acting, I think, were completely nailed on before they went before they went in. Absolutely. So there were no shocks. And I think Jane Campion as best director was also, and Coda ended up going in as as, as the you know red hot favourite. So it was a it was a show with little surprises. Yeah, it was. But I I, I think it's it was really great to see those people recognised for what they did. And I I just love Ariana DeBose I love Troy Katzer and I think it's great to see them I, I, it is a shame that everything was a little bit overshadowed by the incident that I will not name but I am going to give a shout out to Questlove because his his award was completely disrupted by the incident and I just want to say Summer of Soul Disney Plus watch it it is fantastic and I know Henry's nodding it is a brilliant film okay. so please do watch it and I'm going to say again that I'm still my, my choice for best film and I knew I know it was never going to win it would have always been West Side Story oh. that's also a Disney Plus please also watch that because it is a marvellous marvellous reading. Disney Plus is smashing it, it at is the moment smashing it out the park also <laughs> Pam and Tommy fresh I mean it's got some there's some crazy stuff going on there um, okay thank you that was just a brief catch up on the on, on the Oscars now we are going to end on such a high note I can't wait for this review I was the one that suggested it to the team and three out of four of us took me up on my challenge and watched it we are going into the bubble we're almost at the nest that sounds like a baby crying for its mama Now that was a great take. Welcome to the start of production of Cliff Beast 6. Thank you for joining us in our bubble. Please make sure you're wearing proper PPE. Physical touch is, of course, off the table. 
So I would recommend making sweet eyes at each other. That was the cast of Cliff Beats 6 in their bubble. Um, it's the latest straight to Netflix star vehicle. It only hit your screens last night and it's genuinely stuffed with famous people. It's Judd Apatow's latest film and it stars both his wife, Leslie Mann, and daughter, Iris Apatow, along with Karen Gillan, Keegan-Michael Key, Pedro Pascal, David Duchovny and Guz Khan as the cast of franchise blockbuster Cliff Beasts who are filming the sixth instalment during the height of the pandemic in a plush English hotel which forms the bubble of the title I don't know who to start with here um let's kick off with Henry <laughs> how did you find the bubble Henry uh, we're getting to the point where I feel like most of these films that are on Netflix are only not going to cinemas because they would be considered fly tipping if they were put there uh, this is I uh, it's so terrible i mean it's actually i'm almost impressed it's a comedy and there isn't a single joke in it it's incredible um yeah i really don't know what else to say like instead of jokes they're just a cameos they're just scenes where it's like hey look weird things happening and it's daisy ridley weird things happening and it's james mcavoy <laughs> there aren't jokes there's just more famous people you recognize and it's a shame because a lot of these famous people are people that i love in other stuff like, Gus Khan's great. I haven't actually seen him in a film before. I just know him from TV. And I'm like, great, Gus Khan. And he's wasted. I, I, don't, I don't think we need a COVID movie from Hollywood. I definitely not one like this. Like, if you look at Drive My Car and Worst Person in the World, both of those have these little epilogues that kind of address COVID in their own way. And it's done very tastefully and it works in the context of the film. And it doesn't feel like it's trying to insult you. Whereas this feels like a feature length version of the Imagine video. <laughs> I am going to tell you that I think the only pandemic thing you really need to watch, which is on Netflix, is Bo Burnham's Inside. That was yeah. a work of genius. So, but that's by the by. Simon, how did you find the bubble? You weren't going to watch it, and then you would. I, I wasn't. Into I it. wasn't going to watch it because I saw it and thought this is a vanity project from people during COVID um, to saying, "Yes, we're film stars. We have it rough too. We have to stay in a hotel." It is some of the most misjudged ideas i've seen uh full of nepotism as iris apato who is awful um the rest i mean karen gillen and leslie mann and david coffney are normally so watchable and it's great to see like i said Gus khan but here it was actually worse than i expected it's like there are four musical tiktok numbers in here it is the imagine video times four it is insulting. Yossi. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I laughed at least eight times, but in a running hour, running time of two hours and six minutes, and this is my issue with everything Judd Apatow does, to be honest. He doesn't seem to have an editor. He doesn't seem to have anyone who's prepared to say to him, Judd, cut this down to a somewhat punchier 90 minutes, and it might have felt like a better movie. It's essentially a series of sketches. It could have really. been a sketch show on Saturday Night Live, so and it would have been funny for three minutes, but some of them hit, Some of them didn't. I, I mean, I enjoy, for example, I did enjoy Kate McKinnon as the studio head, who every time she wrote, who she called him some, some other luxurious location. I think it was, a, you know, it does, it does. Yossi, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I'm trying to pick I'm up for so that. I'm so sorry. I, I, I wanted to give this a shot. I really did, but it was something that I just thought these people are all in it. There's some fantastic people in it, and it just felt like a waste of talent because, as you say, there didn't seem to be an editor. Like the script was messy. Place, yeah. It was all over the place, and I just, I wanted so much more. There were bits where I laughed. 
couple of times, but is that acceptable? Um, I'm not sure. I will shout out Karen Gillan, I think, for giving a really good energy. I think she brings a good energy. And she's, I mean, she essentially is kind of quite Jumanji-like in this, but I do think she's, I I think she was probably the highlight in, in, in a hefty cast. But I think we are coming, sadly, to the end of the show. So I think really what we're saying is please don't watch the bubble. Um, <laughs> and in fact, the one positive thing I'll say about it, it feels really dated already. And I think that's great because when we were living in the pandemic, we were like, oh my God, this is never going to change. We're going to this. And now it, watching that now, I was like, oh, this feels like the old days. This feels like the old days. So that's a positive thing. Let's take positive notes. We will be back in two weeks. I'm not entirely sure of what we're going to be discussing. So I won't, I won't, I won't pre, I won't preview anything. Who knows? Tune in to find out. But to play out, I'm just going to play a little bit of the awesome Blue Oyster Cults, Don't Fear the Reaper, because it's one of the songs in the fantastic soundtrack of X, which we didn't even touch on, but that's also awesome. Thanks very much for listening. Bye, everyone. Cambridge 105 Radio.